Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, and loving kindness. Peace and love. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. Justin here as always. So I want to start with sharing something that I think is <laughs> going to make you laugh. It's it's really bizarre, actually. So I've lately noticed um, in the past week or two, flies, uh, an abundance of flies that are kind of round more than normal. And I'm trying to make sense of it. And they're following me around in outside. I'm, I'm sitting in my car in the morning, like I usually do reading. Um, and then at the gym, they're following me around and like landing on me. And it's like, what the hell is going on? So I researched this and I said, you know, why are fly, what attracts flies? Is it something with the body odor or the scent or, you know, I have to assume there's something like that, uh, like mosquitoes with blood and whatever, whatever your scent is as well. So I don't know, I'm not a bug expert, but <laughs> so I looked into it and I noticed that salt was something that they could potentially be drawn to. And something I've been doing lately with my, my diet is I've been drinking uh, a lot of salt water. So I put these um, salts in my water. Uh, it's a product LMNT. So check it out um, if you're interested in learning about this. This is actually really helpful. I learned it from my doctor because we're kind of undersalted as a society. So this is my way of integrating a little um, discussion around nutrition <laughs> briefly um, before we get into diet and autoimmune disease. But so I, I, I think my theory is this, and if you know the answer to this, please let me know because I would love to know if I'm right or not. But drinking the salt water all the time, I'm sweating it out all the time. I can even taste, I can smell the salt coming out of my, my pores. And I think that's drawn these flies to me. So I don't know. All I got to say is that if you're going to buy a product, if you're going to sell a product with, um, with the salts and electrolytes, you should have a warning on there that says, you know, may contain, um, <laughs> an army of flies attacking your body all the, it's, it's so crazy, but anyway, thought I'd share that with you. Um, so today we're going to get into diet and autoimmune disease. And actually, you know, since I'm talking about sodium and salt, let me at least mention this. Ironically, uh, this was not planned. So I, it's just funny how it kind of works this way, but believe it or not, when you have an autoimmune disease, sodium and salt is not often, um, it's something you want to be aware of. And control because yes, I just said that we're undersalted as a society and we actually need more of it in our diet. It's really not the issue for heart uh, or high blood pressure, rather. It's other things, but uh, that's a big misconception. Now, the, the challenge with this is that you need salt. You can't and sodium. You can't omit it from your life. You don't want to be. You don't. You don't want to have zero. You need it to help regulate water retention, blood pressure, all that good stuff. Um, and just like the other electrolytes, but we're depleted a lot of times. The thing with sodium is interesting because in research, they suggest that 
sodium in excess amounts, and again, it's it's very specific to the person, can actually amplify and, and rev up the immune system, like the TH17 cells. Um, and I, I can't say that I've noticed this with clients where we've intentionally or just uh, decided to eat foods higher in sodium or salt our foods more, and there was flare-ups. So I can't speak to that. I'm not too concerned about it, honestly. Um, however, research says otherwise, and this is a real, and this is what's important to understand is like what's in research doesn't mean that it's applicable in practice and what I'm doing with clients. And just because somebody says, well, this is in this data, like doesn't mean that it's a problem for you, you know? And so that's what I really care about is what am I seeing? And I'm mindful of it. And I'm not saying we need to liberally salt everything, but there's something to be said about we're undersalted. We probably could use more in our diet. Maybe we're deficient in it. Maybe we're sweating out a lot through exercise and sauna and other things where we do need to replenish, right? That would make sense. But I think it's something to be aware of because if you're out eating at a restaurant, for example, which has a lot of ingredients and, and calories, of course, and a lot of salt, then you might want to draw the connection of, well, do you feel, how do you feel after that meal? You eat at a chain restaurant, there's probably a lot of sodium in their in their food items if you're eating a food that may be, may not be typically something you consume. And if you feel better, if you feel worse after that, and you have flare-ups, and you have all these symptoms, um, it may not happen right away, but I mean it's something it's a correlation you want to be aware of. And you know, what I tell what I tell people is that you should have potassium on hand. A thousand to two thousand milligrams of potassium will help buffer sodium if you have too much um it's a, it's a separate thing from the bloating and the edema maybe that you might experience from having too much sodium which you know because water follows sodium and salt so does it relate to your flare-ups and symptoms maybe maybe not but it's a bit of an experiment but i thought that was something that i wanted to share with you that was more uh, relevant to you rather than flies so i hope that's helpful all right, so let's actually get into more of this diet discussion with autoimmune disease. And this could be a super long episode, but as my episodes have been on the shorter end to kind of get to the point quicker, I want to touch on the, the, the more salient things when it comes to diet. And there's a lot to say for sure. I mean, there's endless things we could talk about with this. And I, I think in the future, I'll get back to this. I mean, I went to school, graduate school. For nutrition, so there's a lot I could say about this stuff. But you know, for me, the thing that really, you know, I'm not gonna in this episode, I'm not gonna talk to you about. Well, we should eat carrots and we should avoid cashews and we should, uh, you know, eat more Brussels sprouts and less of it. Like, and this is a bad food and this is a good food and we have this sort of black and white sort of discussion and, and vantage point of what foods we should be eating and not. It's not about that. And that's sort of the, I think really the point of this discussion is that why do we make this so complicated? Why is it so hard for us to figure out what diet is best for us? Do we even know? Why is the question always, well, what diet do I follow? You go see a dietitian, you go see a nutritionist. And they say, you should follow AIP, you should follow paleo, you should follow carnivore or vegan or vegetarian or Mediterranean or Whole 30, whatever. And there's a million and a half different diets out there. But they're all just labels that have specific rules to follow. 
right? AIP or autoimmune paleo, if you're not aware of that diet, it's the more popularized one in the autoimmune space. And and really, you're, you can't really eat anything other than vegetables, fruits, and meat and cardboard, as I jokingly say. <laughs> but really, you're limited to those sort of things. Um, so imagine eating a diet that is consisted of vegetables, fruits, and pretty much bread meats and animal meat in general. Um, you know, obviously oils, olive oil, things like that too. So it's very limiting for sure. And, and some people need it. My mom had to be on that for a period of time because sometimes you're just reacting to everything and that's the thing that's going to give you relief. But here's the thing I say is that you can follow whatever diet you want. And that's the first thing I'll say, actually, I take a step back. Let me take a step back and say that you, um, it's not up for us to decide what diet is best. Your immune system decides for you. Let me say that again. Where we, where we get this wrong is we think that we must follow this diet and this is what's going to give us the best results because so-and-so said this, my doctor said this, Instagram said that, and we do it. And while we feel maybe okay, maybe it works for a period of time, but that plateaus eventually, usually. And maybe it doesn't work at all and it backfires. So that's because your immune system decides and dictates what foods it wants to tolerate and not tolerate. Not our conscious brain, not you, not your doctor, not me, not your neighbor. It doesn't matter what we think. It's what your immune system thinks. And this is where we get things wrong. This is why we get things wrong. And the more we do this, the more we start to get attached to our own biases and preferences, then we lose sight of it. We don't get better. You know, I had a discussion with somebody the other day who, who wanted to uh, follow a keto diet and has, uh, I think, some autoimmune disease. I can't remember what it was. Um, and I'm sorry, maybe it was veganism. So she wanted to follow a vegan diet, but she has an autoimmune disease. And, you know, the issue with this is that when we decide to get our preferences in the way, we might eat foods that are provocative and really trigger the immune system, even if it is quote unquote healthy. And you see this a lot. Well, I eat broccoli. I eat bananas. I eat tomatoes and these health foods. And well, if your immune system is reacting to it, is it really a health food anymore? No, right? It's not. <laughs> if it's causing inflammation and immune response, that's not a health food. Society might tell you that. And that might be true for most people, but not for you. And so what you see in like in this example with this person I was learning about is that she has to shift her dietary dogma, basically, in her belief. Because if she decides to eat a vegan diet and doesn't want to eat animal meat, well, you know, maybe that's the best stuff she can tolerate. Maybe she really needs more protein. She can only eat foods that are um, off limits on the vegan diet, right? You can still eat the foods that are part of a vegan diet, but you, if you're limiting yourself to that, then you might be doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, and this is where people run into micronutrient deficiencies and deficiencies of minerals. Um, and that's a problem too, actually, you know, which actually ties us back to the whole sodium salt discussion, because that's part of the, you know, phosphorus and potassium and calcium 
in other def mineral deficiencies that um, you see that are really common. And, you know, this is really important, actually. It's one of the more, I think, less discussed things in, in health. But so you see what I'm getting at here? This, this is the problem. And so we really, I, I really don't care about diet labels any, anymore. Um, and I don't put clients on a diet, honestly. I'm not saying, I can't remember the last time I ever said that to somebody, which is maybe strange to hear considering I am a clinical nutritionist by trade and I went to school for this, but I do things the way that we should be doing it, which is, well, I don't really know what your diet is, but let's figure it out. But I don't care what you call it because if we try to say that your diet must follow this rule, like the, the you know foods you must avoid and the foods you should eat, then it fits a certain label when there's so many subtle differences and nuances with this stuff that maybe it doesn't fit into any of those labels. It's really just your own diet. We have the Justin diet. Okay, great. And that's what it's about. It's what I'm helping people do is, is really listening, helping them tune into their body and, and see what foods they can tolerate, not tolerate, which is hard because you're not going to always know with symptoms um, right away. Delayed food sensitivities can be, you know, are, are real, real. They can happen upwards of, you know, three, 72 hours, I think. And, and food sensitivity testing, I'm just going to come out here and say it is really not reliable right now. Um, I, I've, I play with it a few times with clients, but it really made no difference. And if, if, if I'm being honest with you, a lot of our clients, in fact, pretty much all of them now at this point, do amazingly well, and we don't run a food test. In fact, we barely talk about diet. We, we talk about it, yes, and we, and we say, okay, we should avoid gluten. That's a big one, and a few other foods and things that are obvious. But we're not sitting here going, we need to pick away at every little food group and say, you know, you need pumpkin seeds. You can't eat avocados. You should uh, eat almonds. You should eat salmon and not halibut, and you should um, – only eat trout and in scallops are a bad thing. And, you know, really just kind of getting very specific with the stuff, which, I mean, listen, if a food test was reliable and reproducible, which it's really not, which is the issue, at least right now it's not meaning you could run a food test today and then do it again tomorrow. And you probably would have different findings. And that's sort of the issue right now. And there's a lot of that out there. Uh, these companies trying to make you believe you can run this food test and it's going to, really help you, but really it's a waste of money. It's not reliable and in the research. The only thing that's close to that is ELISA testing, E-L-I-S-A. That's the methodology that would be potentially the validated source of food sensitivity testing. But there's debate about that. Um, and, I'm, and so I'm not really convinced. Um, and, and really for me at the end of the day, diet is not the most important issue for autoimmune disease. It's really not. And this is maybe going to be really enlightening for you because we spend so much time and energy on this, trying to figure out what we, what we need to change and do differently. And I put it this way the other day. I said, you know, if you wake up and wash your car this morning at 8 a.m. and you decide to do it again at noon because you see a bit of dirt on it, um, and then you do it again at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, was that even necessary? You did it once in the morning. Okay, cool. Done. Move on. Next. But this is what we're doing with diet in the sense of like, well, I changed it today and three days from now, I'm going to change it again. Or next month, I'm going to change it again. We're going to cut out this food. We're going to add this in. We're going to do this, do that. And 
people waste a lot of time and unfortunately money to get protocols to help them refine this. I'm like, yeah, and what's changed? Nothing, not really, anything. You might see some improvements and your argument might be like, well, Justin, yes, my diet did work for me and I felt good and yes, but how long did it last for? Did it resolve all your symptoms? Be honest about that. And that's what you see. I can almost predict what happens to people when they follow something new. They say, I'm doing medication. I feel great. I, I just took levothyroxine for thyroid. I took this medication. I changed my diet. I did a supplement. I don't need any help right now. And I said, okay, great. I hope that works out for you. But don't be surprised after a month or two, you, you're back to square one and you're stuck again. Because you can't just do this simple adjustment and then voila, your problems are gone. It's way more complicated than that. So this is what you call the honeymoon phase. And you can expect that. If you're new to this game, just be aware of that. You're, you can cut out gluten and dairy and you'll feel relief for sure. Like that's a real issue across the board for most autoimmune diseases. And if I'm going to say one thing about diet, it's yeah, gluten's got to go probably because with the rare exception of a few people who can handle it, but it's not the case. It has more to do with modern hybridization and the issues with genetics and how our immune system does not like it. So it's, it's very uh, inflammatory for a lot of people with autoimmune disease and Dairy is a close second, I would say. And then after that, it's kind of a toss-up. It's really, is it soy? Is it lectins, nightshades, nuts and seeds? I mean, it's tough. It's really hard to say. Um, but what I find is that um, <clears throat> a lot of people don't need to cut out those foods. I mean, they really don't arbitrarily need to do this. And that's what I think people are doing. And if you're doing that, well, I just say, well, what if you're eating, what if you're cutting out foods that really are nurturing and helpful for you, but you're afraid of it or you were convinced that it's a bad food? This is what happens. And then I see people are, are needlessly avoiding foods that they don't need to. And then they have social stress around it, anxiety and fear. And they're out at restaurants where they don't go out to eat with people and be social because their life is different and they have to follow up the schedule and they don't want to be embarrassed and they don't want to, they don't want to have to apologize and explain themselves. You see how complicated, see how really this sort of domino effect happens? So this whole diet stuff really has tremendous, had tremendous impact on really everything else. It trickles into other areas of your life. And then that worsens the whole stress and the mental anxiety and anguish and the fear and the emotions all around it. And then you're wondering why you're not getting better. And I say this, if the diet you're following gives you stress, right? That fear, that anxiety, those emotions you have is a bigger problem than the food itself. Yeah. That's the deal. Because I'm not saying it's really one or the other, right? A food can be a problem for sure. But I will tell you that the storytelling, the narrative in our mind, the feelings and stress we have about it, psychologically speaking, is going to be more damaging. It's going to be more more of a problem and, and exacerbate the symptoms and autoimmune issues more than anything. And that holds true for pretty much anything else. Toxins, chemicals, fears around that and stuff. You see it all the time. doesn't mean they're not an issue, but I'm telling you, we are unnecessarily adding more stress to our plate. No pun intended. <laughs> you know, because we're thinking, oh, this food's a problem and I can't eat it. And I ate it. Oh my God, my life is over. I'm going to start over and hit the reset button. It doesn't work that way. And this is why what I do is so different with people and clients, and it just works better because it's the exact opposite of what 
most people are doing, which is not cutting out everything. It's about avoiding some things and seeing how it goes, not being attached and super strict without a real reason. Okay, and that's how I do things, but it really comes back to intention and how I work with people in that way where I say, okay, well, great. You know, you're reacting to these foods right now. It's okay. It might change. It probably could, but let's wait and see. But it's not the end of the world if you eat a food that was quote unquote off limits. And guess what? You're going to eat gluten in your life, whether you know it or not. It cross-contaminates in many foods. It's in foods that you're not even aware of. And that's part of life. So you're not, you're never going to get perfect with it. Be okay with being imperfect. So when you have these discussions with people, and you, and I help people say that see that it's not all about diet, and you can get the perfect diet and eat you know perfectly healthy, and you can still have all the issues in the world. And you see this a lot. Then it takes the pressure off, and then people start to realize that okay, there's more going on here with this autoimmune stuff. And it's not all about diet, and maybe my whole storytelling and, and feelings and stress around it is maybe the thing that needs my attention. Not whether or not I need to cut out this food or add in that food. You see, where, you see where I'm going here with this. So th this is really what I'm trying to encourage you to think about. You know, a lot of people feel good for a few weeks and they make a change and do something different, and then they stagnate and they try something new, and they might feel a little bit better or they see nothing at all, and it's like one thing to the next. And I'm like, okay, well, you changed your diet 19 times, what? And and nothing's really gotten to the finish line into remission so why do you think changing it the 20th time is going to do that i'm not trying to be patronizing or um judgmental or critical in any way i'm just saying you know think about this logically speaking is that going to do it you know if it worked then you wouldn't be here anymore so you know i i i kind of say to people I'm like you know diet and, and supplements really represents like maybe five percent of this whole puzzle with autoimmune disease that might shock you you know sure it's just my own opinion about it but we don't talk about in my work with clients we don't spend a lot of time on diet we really don't i say say we'll spend about two minutes talking about it what you should be doing but most people have already made enough adjustments they've already done a lot they cut out a lot of the bad things doing the best they can so it's not about really fine-tuning it further and you know, because that's really not where your attention and energy needs to go. Again, it's your immune system. That's the problem. The food is not the issue, right? No one wakes up one day reacting to 25 foods. There's a loss of oral tolerance that develops over time. And what I've been saying, well, I will say in the future on this show, is that the immune dysregulation that, that is basically causing that, well, that takes many years for that to happen typically. And it starts with a lot of exposures and, and, and really experiences and a derailment of the nervous system, which I've been kind of arguing on online for a couple of years now. And that all it's many things, not just one thing. But the nervous system especially is what and the hormones, of course, which are involved in this, are all kind of contributing to cha changing the trafficking of the immune system in the cells and how they're reacting and not reacting to things. So you start reacting to things that you shouldn't be or never did before, and you're wondering why. Now there are genetics involved, yes, you know, but you know a lot of these foods that we're reacting to, we can change. I've had clients be on AIP or you know the Canemy where they were on that, and they were super reactive to things, and then 
they work with me, they're done with the program. And like, wow, I can eat these foods. I'm not bloated. I don't feel like this. I'm not reacting. I don't have skin issues. And great. You know, that's the best case scenario. But it wasn't about the diet. It was about the immune system. And that's the thing to understand is that the diet isn't really the issue. Um, yes, agriculture is changing and food's quality has changed. Yes, that's, a, that's a, certainly a niche a thing. And gluten is obviously a great example. But diet really isn't the issue. If you're, if you're talking about personal health, it's really and the thing that we have control over. It's really about our immune system and how to support that to get it to stop reacting to everything. Okay, does that make sense? So that that's there's many moving parts of that which are beyond the, the scope of this episode. But if you want to regulate your immune system better, you got to regulate your stress better. Plain and simple. Okay, so I I think that's where I kind of want to end it for this. So. Hopefully you can see that I'm not here saying, well, yes, you should eat this and not eat that because no one can ever tell you that. And if, if people are telling me that, then that's a big red flag because you can do something and follow that. Okay, follow, fine. Do AAP, do keto, whatever, but be open to adjusting it and, and, and fine tuning it to meet your needs, not doing it and ignoring your body's symptoms and reactions because you want to stick to the plan because you're told it's the best thing for you. If you do that, you're denying your intuition and wisdom. And this is a big issue. This is what I mostly help people do is get back in touch with their bodies and listen to the wisdom. Because if you, if you do that, then you're going to be set for, for success. If you don't and you're following other people's advice about what's a good food and bad food, then you're not going to get better. The truth does not lie there. It lies within your immune system and what it thinks about it. You must look at it that way. You must look at which foods will help you eat better, which foods will make you eat worse, regardless of what food is considered healthy versus unhealthy. So at the end of the day, it really comes back to changing your consciousness about this, not changing your diet again for the 12th time. And when you change your consciousness, you see, meaning how you look at this diet stuff, how you look at this autoimmune stuff, you see improvements that will last, right? Changing the way you look at autoimmune disease and that is, and that it is more than a diet issue. That's the bottom line. All right, so I'm going to leave it at that. But I hope that gave you something to think about. I know I kind of rambled really fast. I'm just kind of going with this and thinking about it <laughs> out loud here. But I am sure, I'm, I'm very certain we'll come back to this diet discussion in the future. And, and I will talk about specific food items and things that, you know, you want to be aware of that I've noticed and in the research can be a problem for autoimmune disease like lectins and nightshades and this and that and the other. But again, you want to have an open mind with this and not be attached to the idea that, oh, well, this is the food I must avoid and cut out because everybody with Hashimoto's or lupus has this problem. There's, there's, there's no rule. There is none. It's only whatever your body decides. Okay. So I hope you found this helpful again. Um, I would love any questions uh, that you have for me. Um, to come through via email or through social media on Instagram. Feel free to reach out and happy to answer anything you got. But uh, I will see you next time. Please leave me a review for this podcast if you feel so inclined. I would greatly appreciate that. And I will see you next time. All right, peace and love. Have a beautiful day. Go get your sodium in and stay away from the flies. Bye.